God has a timeline for history and this world isn't going to just spin along indefinitely. But God has a culmination to all of history, which he planned from the very beginning. The question is, does God provide us with the understanding of when and how this culmination will happen? You can't count on Facebook speculations to find the answer any more than most of the temple priests and the religious community during the Hebrew scripture period were anticipating the first arrival of Messiah. This despite God's timeline, which was clearly revealed in the Hebrew scriptures and the book of Daniel. These last days of history are going to actively involve the church and the nation of Israel. God didn't leave the world in the dark, so to speak, but revealed to the prophet Daniel when the Messiah would arrive the first time and about his second coming. And even though most of the religious people should have understood and calculated the times, according to the prophecies in the book of Daniel, nevertheless, God still had a remnant who were tuned in to his spiritual frequency. And it's the same in our day. God always has his remnant, and you need to be part of that remnant. The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. Shalom, I'm Christine Dark. In Daniel chapter 9, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to tell the prophet Daniel the precise day that Jesus would present himself as king to Jerusalem, but that the Messiah would in fact be executed for the sins of the people. The Bible speaks of two simultaneous periods of time going on in the world. One is referred to as the times of the Gentiles. That involves the church. And the other timeline of God is referred to in the book of Daniel as 77s that are determined upon the nation of Israel. 77s is biblical code language, meaning 490 years when you do the multiplication. Now, the angel Gabriel said concerning Messiah's kingdom that 77s of years, a total of 490 years, 70 times 7, had been decreed concerning the Jewish people and their holy city, Jerusalem. The praying and fasting prophet Daniel was rewarded with information that a total of 490 years was to be cut out of the times of the Gentiles. And this 490-year period for Israel had been determined by God for the accomplishment of the final restoration of Israel and the establishment of Messiah's kingdom. Now, in Daniel 9.24, the angel Gabriel listed six purposes, six purposes in one verse that the Almighty had decreed. So listen carefully to this verse. He said, 77s are decreed for your people in your holy city, that is Jerusalem. And here are the six purposes. To finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and number six, to anoint the most holy place. 
Now, the first purpose for Israel's final time period of 490 years was to bring the transgression to completion. The Hebrew word for the transgression means rebellion. And the inclusion of the definite article, the, means the transgression or the rebellion. But Israel's apostasy will finally be finished. Now, the second purpose of the 77s is to make an end of sins. Commentators say this refers to sins of daily life. The Bible prophets predict a messianic kingdom when sinning will cease for Israel. The third purpose stated by Gabriel to Daniel was to make atonement for iniquity against the evil inclination. And the fourth stated purpose of the 77s or the 490 years is to bring in everlasting righteousness. Commentators say this could be literally translated to bring in an age of righteousness, the messianic kingdom spoken of by the prophets. And it is this very age that Daniel had been expecting to see established after Israel's 70 years of captivity in Babylon. But instead, he was told that it would be a period of 70 sevens. The fifth purpose of this timeline, Gabriel said, would be to seal up vision and prophecy, meaning that Bible prophecies will be ultimately fulfilled. And the final purpose of the 77s will be to anoint the most holy place. Commentators say this is a reference to the Jewish temple, which is to be rebuilt when Messiah comes. The same temple that Daniel's contemporary, the prophet Ezekiel, described in great detail in Ezekiel chapters 40 to 48. Furthermore, now stay with me, God's timeline was given precisely in the next three verses of Daniel chapter 9, verses 25 to 27. Gabriel said to Daniel, No one understand this. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Mashiach Nagib, it says in the Hebrew, until Messiah the Prince comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. After this period of 62 sets of seven, the Mashiach, the Messiah, will be killed, but not for himself. And then a ruler will arise whose armies will destroy the city and the temple. The end will come like a flood, and war and its miseries are decreed from that time to the very end. The ruler will make a treaty with the people for a period of one set of seven. And this Bible commentators say is referring to the anti-Messiah or the Antichrist. But after this time, in other words, after three and a half years, this ruler will put an end to the sacrifices and offerings. And as a climax to all of his terrible deeds, he will set up a sacrilegious object that causes desecration until the fate decreed for this is finally poured out on him. So let's break this down. Gabriel said the 77s determined for Israel will be divided into three separate units. The first will be seven sevens or 49 years. The second division will be 62 sevens. And if you multiply that, you get 434 years. 
And then the final division will be one set of seven, meaning a final period of seven years that's determined upon the nation of Israel in the future. During the first time period of 49 years, Gabriel said Jerusalem would be built again, even in troublous times. And the second block of time, 62 sevens or a total of 434 years, immediately followed the first, all adding up to a total of 69 sevens out of the 70, or do the multiplication, a total of 483 years altogether until Mashiach Nagid, Messiah the Prince, comes. Therefore, unto Daniel, it was clearly revealed that 483 years after the decree to rebuild Jerusalem, Messiah would appear on the earth. And shockingly, Daniel was also told that the Messiah shall be cut off. And that was terminology used in the Mosaic law, meaning that he would be killed, executed. Also to Daniel was revealed that the people of the ruler that shall come are going to destroy Jerusalem and the sanctuary. And it happened. The people responsible for destroying Jerusalem were the Romans. And the temple in Jerusalem were destroyed in the year 70 AD. So now what about the last set of sevens? The last seven years of the 70 so-called sevens of Daniel's prophecy. They have not played out yet. They're still in the future. But it's important for us to understand that until Israel goes through the last set of sevens, all six purposes of God that I mentioned in Daniel 9.24 are not going to be fulfilled. So when will the 70th and final seven begin? Well, Daniel was told in verse 27, it will begin with the signing of a seven-year covenant or some sort of treaty between Israel and other parties the Antichrist. But in the middle of that period, after three and a half years, that future leader, that anti-Messiah, will break the covenant with Israel and will cause the sacrificial system that by then has been reinstituted to cease. So the rebuilt temple in the future in Jerusalem will be defiled by an abomination, just as in the days of Antiochus Epiphanes. Some sort of idol will be set up in which the anti-Messiah will demand worship. Now, if all of this is too much for us to wrap our heads around, I'll try to summarize God's end-time timeline from the book of Daniel in the words, in the explanation of Dr. Arnold Fruchtenbaum, a Messianic Bible scholar. By way of review of Daniel chapter 9, Dr. Fruchtenbaum wrote that the Messiah was to appear on earth precisely 483 years after the decree to rebuild Jerusalem. And Cyrus the Great made such a decree. Secondly, after his appearance on earth, the Messiah, it was prophesied, would be killed, but not for his own sins, but rather for the iniquities of others. His death would be the death of the penalty of the law. Thirdly, the death of the Messiah had to occur sometime before Jerusalem and the temple were destroyed again. And that did happen in the year 70 AD. So Messiah had to come before 70 AD. 
Fourthly, sometime after the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem and following a long period of warfare, the last seven, Israel's 70th seven, will begin in the future. And when that final seven years has run its course, Messiah's kingdom in the age of righteousness will finally be established, meaning that the same Messiah who was killed will return again to establish the Davidic kingdom. So who is this Messiah? Well, only one man fills the bill of this timeline. Jesus of Nazareth was born into the Jewish world and proclaimed his Messiahship exactly 483 years after the decree to rebuild and restore Jerusalem, just as Daniel's prophecy predicted. Jesus was executed by crucifixion, and the prophecy that had been given to Daniel indicated that the Messiah would be cut off, not for himself, but rather for others. Isaiah 53 also prophesied this death of the Messiah, pointing out that he would die a substitutionary penal death on behalf of his people Israel. Now, in keeping with Daniel 9.24, Jesus, Yeshua, died for the purpose of making atonement for sins. And three days after his death, he was resurrected. The new covenant proclaims that he will someday return to set up his kingdom and the age of righteousness. That's why it's a smokescreen to try to save this planet, because Jesus is coming to rule with a rod of iron. Hallelujah. Despite the fact that Israel did not calculate this timeline and didn't honor Messiah's coming. Despite all this, the Lord is faithful to his people and to his name. He continues to gather all of the children of Israel from the nations wherever he dispersed them. And it's fascinating that during the Hanukkah holiday this month, we saw evidence of this. Despite travel restrictions of the coronavirus, more than 250 immigrants from the tribe of Manasseh returned to Israel and made Aliyah from India. All the tribes have to come home because during Israel's remaining set of seven years that hasn't started yet, God will cleanse the nation from all idols and unrighteousness. God's name will be glorified. And he prophesies that he will sprinkle clean water upon Israel and put a new spirit within them and all of this is according to prophecies found in Ezekiel 36. Now, concerning God's timeline, Rabbi Shaul, in other words, the Apostle Paul, in the New Testament, makes a commentary. In Galatians 4.4, he wrote, When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law. Very few understood the timeline the first time Messiah came. But God always has his faithful remnant. And that's what I want to emphasize today, because we want to be amongst his remnant. The shepherds in Bethlehem who watched over the temple flocks, they were part of the remnant. They were told the good news that the Mashiach was born, the Messiah was born, and they believed. And in Jerusalem, there was a righteous man named Simeon who was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He knew God's timeline, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. 
And in Luke 2.26, we're told it was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he wouldn't die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And he came in to the temple by the Spirit when the parents of Jesus had brought him to do the custom of the law. And Simeon held the child and prophesied over him. Also, Luke 2.36 tells us there was a prophetess named Anna, an 84-year-old widow who served God in the temple with fastings and prayers night and day. And she coming in in that instant gave thanks also to the Lord and spoke of the Messiah to all that had looked for redemption in Jerusalem. So the overall temple priesthood didn't recognize the timeline, but God had his remnant in Anna, Simeon, the shepherds. And then there were also men from the east, wise men, the Magi, who according to Matthew chapter 2 came to Jerusalem saying, where is he born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and we've come to worship him. Now the Jewish religious leadership as a whole weren't prepared to receive Jesus, but God had his remnant in these wise men from afar. And this teaches us that God can and often does move outside of our religious circles to find those seeking the truth. Even now, Jesus is asking our generation in Luke 18.8, he said, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? I so enjoyed preaching to India recently in an all-night prayer meeting via Zoom. And I encouraged them by saying that these wise men in the Bible didn't come from the west, from the north, or from the south. They came from the east. They had beheld the miraculous star of Jacob as prophesied in Numbers 24, 17. We can hop on a jet and reach the Holy Land within the same day, but the wise men traveled for many months. They went to considerable trouble, time, and expense, and some scholars speculate that their journey lasted up to two years. What a picture of faith and perseverance. When travel restrictions are hopefully stopped, I want to encourage you to visit Israel and to worship the king in his own homeland. It will illuminate your world because the Bible just comes to life in its own land. It's like reading it in technicolor. Now, the word magi, the wise men, is the plural of the Latin singular word magus, transliterated from the Persian. And Matthew chapter 2, sometimes they are called astrologers in some translations. But in those days, astrology was considered a proper study of the stars, and it didn't have the forbidden occult connotations of today that we're warned against in the Bible. According to Bible scholars, the ancient Magi were a hereditary priesthood. Darius the Great established the Magi over the state religion of Persia. The Persians and their wise men appear in the days of the prophet Daniel and also in the book of Esther in the Bible. They were taught in Babylon by the prophet Daniel. They were taught God's timeline and they were therefore looking for the Redeemer's appearance. So Bible commentators have noted that the shepherds and the wise men were the first to recognize the Messiah as Savior and Redeemer. The shepherds representing the Jewish people and the Magi represent the Gentile nations. Many of the early church fathers saw great significance 
in the wise men's bringing gold, frankincense, and myrrh from the East. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh are particularly Eastern in nature. But the gifts are also deeply prophetic of Jesus' three offices as king, high priest, and savior. The first gift, gold, represented the office of King Messiah. Costly in all cultures, the gift of gold said to the Holy Family that Jesus is the king. After all, he was from the lineage of King David from the tribe of Judah. He is great David's greater son. And the second gift, frankincense, represented the Lord's office of our intercessory high priest. Even now, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. He is our high priest. After the eternal order of Melchizedek, we recognize the word incense in the name frankincense. Ancient peoples burned frankincense in the hopes of carrying their prayers to heaven. And the Levitical priesthood in the temple were responsible for God's incense. Therefore, the gift of frankincense was a message to the Messiah saying, you will be the high priest. And I'm sure Mary, the mother of our Lord, who was a prophetess, taught her son and discussed these prophetic gifts with him as he was being brought up. And she was sure to strengthen him with the stories of his mysterious birth so that when Jesus pondered his own mission, he knew that gold represented his kingship and frankincense represented his high priestly office. But what about the third gift? The gift of myrrh was a prophetic gift of the Lord's sacrificial death as savior of the world. Myrrh is a resin from trees, and it is an Arabic word meaning bitter. Myrrh was, in fact, used as a burial ointment to embalm Egyptian mummies. Gold and frankincense were kingly, priestly gifts, but myrrh spoke of suffering. The gift of myrrh prophesied to Jesus, you were born to die for the world. In fact, in John 19, 39, we learn a precious detail that myrrh was one of the burial spices used to bury Jesus. So the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh were prophetic gifts, speaking of our Lord's three offices of king, high priest, and savior. Gold spoke of his kingship, frankincense spoke of his priestly role, and myrrh was an embalming ointment signifying his death. Looking to the second coming, when Jesus returns to restore the Davidic kingdom to Israel during the millennium, the Bible says he will once again receive gifts of gold and frankincense from the nations because Isaiah 66 proclaims that vast caravans will come to you. The camels of Midian and Sheba will bring gold and frankincense as the nations come up to worship the Lord. But notice, they're going to bring gold and frankincense, but there's no mention this time of myrrh during the millennium. Why? Because the Lord's death was once and for all. Hallelujah. Now, by definition, an epiphany is a manifestation, usually of divine power, a sudden revelation. And that's why January 6th on many calendars is named Epiphany in Eastern churches to commemorate the manifestation of the Messiah to the Gentiles through the persons of the wise men. The word epiphany also means a sudden revelation, a sudden intuitive perception or insight. 
So although the Magi thought Jesus was a king, they worshiped him even as an infant by revelation. So let's pray continually in these days for the spirit of revelation. There's so many lessons we're learning. God has his true servants everywhere, his remnant, and also in the East. His servants can even be outside of our religious circles. Prophet Elijah learned this lesson when he fled to the cave at Mount Sinai. He was feeling sorry for himself and he thought he was the only person who believed in God. But God surprised Elijah with information that he had 7,000 persons back home who had not bowed the knee to false gods. So you see, the Lord always has his hidden ones who seek him and who belong to him. We don't know them, but God does. In fact, 2 Timothy 2.19 states that the Lord knows those who are his. God always has his servants who understand the times. One of my favorite verses is 1 Chronicles 12.32, describing the sons of the Israelite tribe of Issachar. That verse says that they had analyzed their times and had perceived correctly what those times were all about. They knew what to do because they understood what was happening. Although only a few guided about the Messiah's timeline, the first time he came, let's believe that many believers today will be like the children of Issachar who understand and analyze the times. Let's not get caught short. Jesus said he's coming in an hour when you think not, and he's coming, and he hopes to find faith in the earth. With all of the recent troubles that have been going on in my native America, recently God gave me a vision of Jesus, Yeshua, going through the halls of Congress with his whip to drive out corruption. During these eight days of Hanukkah, I thought much about how Israel had expected Jesus to be like another Judah Maccabee, to hammer and defeat the Romans. Instead, Jesus was like the Maccabees. He did cleanse the temple courts of corruption. He took a whip, John chapter 2 says, and he cleansed the temple and drove out the money changers and so forth. I'm praying he will also cleanse the halls of government from fraudulent corruption. Presently, the Lion of Judah is anointing many individuals with the oil of righteous indignation, making them as adamant against fraud and corruption as when he made that whip of cords to cleanse his father's house in John 2.15. As believers, we would never advocate violence, but every believer should be resolved to wield the hammer of God's word. Because God declares in Jeremiah 23, 29, is not my word like fire? Is it not like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces? The true prophetic word burns in our hearts. And when spoken, it consumes evil. And as a hammer, it breaks, it shatters pride, stubbornness, strongholds. This word is mighty to pull down strongholds. And the heart who hears it should be broken and contrite. I pray that you'll be strengthened to be an overcomer in all areas in the coming year, health, finance, family relations, and spiritual growth. Most of all, it's vital that we've passed from darkness to light with a saving knowledge of Jesus as our Lord and Savior. But if you are unsure of your salvation, don't put off that life-changing moment to be redeemed, 
and born again by calling upon his name and repenting because war clouds are an ever-growing threat. It's important to be secure in Messiah's salvation. That's why you need to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus, Yeshua the Messiah, is Lord of your life. And with him, you can face tomorrow without fear and with a confidence that you are now and for eternity part of God's kingdom. That's a real promise for the new year for every believer. I pray to the Lord Jesus, Yeshua, the blessed son of David, that you will be touched, anyone who is depressed. Now ask him to save those who are struggling against suicidal thoughts, those being attacked by fears of the present and fears of the future. I pray for any of you who are faced with domestic violence or economic disasters. Abba Father, protect students of all ages who are not having a normal educational experience at this time. But most of all, graciously pour out on your body, on your people, a biblical discernment of the times, as well as the gift of the discerning of spirits to know good from evil. Lord, just vaccinate us all from end time deception. Amen. Well, there's so much more to share with you through our website, exploits.tv, which brings you news on current and end time events relating to the church and the nation of Israel. At our website and at our Jerusalem Channel YouTube site, we offer a free video library. Our ministry exploits is based upon Daniel 11.32, which declares the people who know their God will be strong, not weak, and we will accomplish exploits, meaning that we will do the works of the Lord in the remaining time before his imminent return. I want you to feel free to share your thoughts with me on social media, and don't forget to download our free Jerusalem Channel mobile app on your phone and tablet. Until next time, I'll always be contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem. Let's pray without ceasing. Even so, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. Shalom. I'm Christine Dark.